This is an exciting episode for us, and it will be for you as well. Our guest is none other than Gil Holland. Gil is a serial entrepreneur who has created success in multiple industries, leveraging his artistic imagination, sharp business mind, and strong desire to make positive impact. Gil was born in Chapel Hill and raised in Davidson, North Carolina. After graduating from the University of North Carolina, Gil followed his passion for the arts, going into film and music business in New York City. After several film productions and accomplishments in the music industry, Gil moved from New York City to Louisville in 2005 alongside his wife, Augusta Brown. While searching for new office space, Gil organically came into his first development, the Green Building, a first of its kind in Louisville, Kentucky. Gil then began to pioneer the creation of what is today known as Nulu, a thriving hospitality and entertainment hub in the heart of Louisville. In this episode, you will hear great stories, down-to-earth conversation, and gain valuable knowledge into multiple industries from an exciting and outside-of-the-box thinker. You won't want to miss this episode of the How-To Business Show, and we hope you find as much value in it as we did. Thanks for tuning in. You have a diverse background from film production to real estate development, and I'm just curious, out the gate, what do you like more? Do you like the real estate development? Do you prefer the film production? And how do you blend the two? Yeah, so great question. And first of all, it's funny, like how-to business show. I was thinking, like, I could talk a lot about how not to. (laughs) (laughs) And that's perfectly fine. (laughs) No, but I love movies uh, more than anything. And they movies combine all the art forms from writing to acting to music to movement to color to picture and composition everything is in a movie and storytelling and it was funny because I lived in New York for a long time and of all my hundreds of friends I only even knew one person who owned their apartment so we're all renting and then you come to Louisville and you're like wow you could buy a house for like a hundred grand that's insane and I was like is everybody rich in this town everybody owns a house had no just had didn't have that concept and then when we started, when we were having our first child, and I was like, I'm going to need an office. I'm going to have to get out of the house office because otherwise I'll just sit around playing with the baby all day. Started looking at buildings. We saw this old building on East Market Street. And I was like, oh, well, let's fix that up. And one thing led to another. But as, uh, as a film producer, about halfway through the construction process, I looked around. There was a crew. There was carpenters and plumbers, all these people doing stuff. And I was branding it as the green building and And then I realized, like, oh, my gosh, this is exactly like making a movie. It's the exact process. I am the developer, and I have an architect. And in a movie, I'm the producer, and I have a director. And we have a crew. We have a line item budget. We have – we got to market it, try not to lose money, building community, hopefully, branding it, telling the story. So I joke it's like real property, intellectual property, but it's the exact same process – And then you go to the startup world and it's the same process all over again. You got to tell your story. You got to build your investor base. You got to be ethical and honest, make sure everybody's on the same page, build a crew. And again, if you can build community at the same time as trying to survive as long as you can with whatever budget you have, that's a a value add. Yeah, that was one one big takeaway from our conversation with Felipe is I realized what Going, getting a movie produced in, in theaters is like launching a company and getting the product out in less than a year. It's, it does take a lot of business acumen. It takes a lot of skill. And you have a ton of timelines that you don't have in normal business. And taking that to real estate development, it's a lot of the same stuff. You have to blend all these different components, all these different art forms from carpentry to architecture to plumbing and be able to tell a story and build a community. And I I love that. And I don't think many people see the connection between movie making and business. And there's a huge one there. Yeah, I mean, it's should they call it show business show business? I have had a couple of films. We just called show art show. (laughs) (laughs) Cause sometimes you do a a movie and you're like, it's not going to make any money, but it needs, the world needs to know about this. And you set it up as a nonprofit or, you do a Kickstarter kind of thing and just find people who are going to support the story and you you get it made. So would you say that's your draw to both real estate and the film industry is the storytelling piece? Yeah. So storytelling and then trying to build community around a project. So the green building, obviously we were instrumental in moving Kentucky forward in the whole green consciousness as a coal state. That's almost a revolutionary act to build a sustainable building uh, and 15 years ago we we're putting solar panels up and people were like what are you doing so I feel like 
somebody has to be first and show some leadership in that respect. And then we've done environmental documentaries. We did one almost 20 years ago called Flow for Love of Water, which is all about globalization and privatization of water. And what's the biggest thing people are talking about right now is water. Uh, we did one on mountaintop removal coal mining, and there's very little mountaintop removal left, so that's a good thing. Done lots of films in the LGBT space because there's a lot of underserved populations that haven't had certain stories uh, told for and, and about them. So, And I guess just your career evolution, you were when you were in New York, were you just in the film space, not yeah, doing so, any real estate? Yeah, so the funny thing is, in New York, nobody knows I do real estate at all. And in Louisville, nobody knows I do films. So, you know, I go to, I, I mean, I, and I, I, you know, I've been living here now. I mean, when I first moved here, trailing my Louisville-born native spouse, um, I kept my office in New York, and I would go up on, like, Tuesday mornings, and I would come back on Thursday nights, and, you know, then that went from once a week to once a month to once a quarter. So now it's about once a quarter. And then I gave up my New York office, and... Uh, but there are still people in New York, because if you see somebody once a quarter in New York, they're like your best friend, right? Because it's just a big city, and there's so much to do, and it's hard to connect with everybody. And so there are people in New York who probably don't even know I don't live in New York anymore, and uh, they definitely don't know anything about Nulu or Portland or Harlan or whatever. And then Louisville, people are like, what, what? You do movie stuff? I was yeah, I, like I started my business. I sold my first film business in two, at the height of the market in 2002, and then I started my record label in New York, too. Interesting. And then that also annoys me because people in Kentucky, sometimes down in Frankfurt, they're like, oh, cost of doing business. We got to like, and I'm like, do you know how hard it is to start a business in New York City? It is so easy to start businesses in Kentucky and there is no cost. So I'm like, people have, I don't quite understand that. Like people haven't gotten out enough. I'm really curious. It's a, we've asked this question a lot, but you're not from Louisville. And I guess what made you choose to stay or make this home base? Right. So I grew up in Davidson, North Carolina, which is a small town. Davidson College is there. Uh, it, but my mom's from Norway. So I had exposure to living in Europe. And then my dad decided to learn Chinese at age 40. And so we li went and lived in Taiwan when I was a kid. So traveled around. But basically, I am a small town boy where we all went to the same little church. There's like, we all went to the M&M soda shop. There was like basically one rest. So everybody knew everybody, everybody knew. So for me, community is like super important. And I love New York City and I lived in the village where you feel like you know everybody in that part of town because it's walkable neighborhoods, a lot like East Market Street. Uh, so living in New York, um, I, after about 10 years, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a lifer in New York. I want to have kids. I don't know if I want to be pushing a pram on Fifth Avenue. And so I started, I, I called it auditioning towns. So like I'd go to South by Southwest. I've been going there since the late nineties with movies and, and bands. And I'd looked at Austin. I'd be like, Austin could be cool 20 years ago. Not cool anymore. Uh, in my opinion, I'd go to San Francisco. I had a TV show on Fox for a season 20 years ago. So I lived in LA. Don't want to live in LA. Uh, I was there two days ago. Definitely don't want to live in LA. I grew up outside Charlotte. Don't want to live in Charlotte. So every city had like, I was like, ah, there was always some reason. And then like, I'd never really heard of Louisville except for Actors Theater because I do film stuff. So I knew about Actors Theater. Didn't know Churchill Downs was here. Did not know Muhammad Ali was here from here. It, yeah, which I guess is weird. I mean, I knew Kentucky, but I didn't, yeah, I never really thought about Louisville. And then when I started dating this, this gal, who's now my wife, we started coming to Louisville and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the coolest city and nobody knows about it. So it's a remarkable, and I tell people, it reminds me of the East Village. So when I got to New York in the early 90s, I lived on St. Mark's Place, which is like legendary East Village, super dodgy, but super creative, local businesses, whatever. And I tell people Louisville is like the East Village was in the 90s. And then everybody gets it right away. I'm like, super cheap rent, all these creative people, easy to start a business, you can afford to be broke for a long time in Louisville. And in New York, you can't. Like, I have musician, artist friends, and they're working 80 hours a week to pay the rent. And then I'm like, you're not doing your art. You're not starting your business. I mean, you're having fun in New York because there's lots of young people and it's fun. So then when we got pregnant, I was like, we're moving to Louisville. And my wife was really? Because when she had left, it was not, it was still a little bit of a sleepy town, I think. And she'd been away for like 10 years. So, and then the other cool thing is if you, want impact for your short time on earth, this is a place where one person can really move the needle. 
Yes, I'm a big believer. I think Louisville is a kind of a victim of brain drain. Uh, just anyone who does have talent leaves, and I, I understand it. And I love that you've been really big and instrumental in the film industry here, bringing that talent. So kind of following that timeline, what was your game plan with you and your wife moving to Louisville? Was it just to break into the film industry and, or where did real estate kind of play a factor there? No, I mean, it's funny. It's totally organic. There was no, I mean, I had barely ever owned a car before. I mean, I had a bike at Chapel Hill when I was a student. It's like at one point I had a little Subaru, but certainly never owned a house or a piece of property. And my wife studied urban planning. So she had a bunch of like Jane Jacobs books and Richard Florida and some other people. And I'd be like, oh, this is interesting. Never heard of urban planning. What, like, what do you do? And I was like, and then having lived in various cool European cities and I love hanging out in cafes and going to bars and talking to people and walking on the street. And I hate going to the mall and don't like big box retailers. So again, it was really organic. It was when I needed to get an office to get out of the house and I was actually scared, a little scared moving here because I was like, oh, my God, my music business is going to go south. I'm not going to get any films made. Like, am I going to have to find a new job? Like, because there, there was very little film industry. If I mean, I think like Stu Pollard had made two films and maybe Archie Borders had made one film. Like there was a great music scene, but, you know, you got to be here to know about it because there's not my morning jacket wasn't huge yet. And Jack Harlow was like five oh, jennifer lawrence had just been in jennifer lawrence had i mean i met her when she did winter's bone so she wasn't she said there was not uh i knew about hunter s thompson so and thomas merton mm -hmm. so there's some wendell berry so there was some good writers but then it was like looking at these buildings and i'm like we bought the the green building i was like you can buy this building like eighteen thousand square foot three-story brick building built 100 plus years ago on east market street right next to downtown for $400,000, I was like, I could not buy my barely one-bedroom apartment, with, which was a walk-up, fifth floor, with the bathroom in the hallway with the shower next to the kitchen sink. I couldn't have bought that for 400000 So it just seemed like, whoa, things are so cheap. Like, why would I pay rent when I can, like, pay a mortgage instead? So that's the first building that I was ever involved in ownership with. And my wife knew lots more than I did about all these things anyway, so... So with that, so it was a totally organic process of how, and then as you're doing a building, I was like, oh my gosh, we're having a child, climate change, thinking about the future, everybody's part of this problem, greenhouse gas emissions, how do we become part of the solution? So I did a lot of research on like, how do I offset the carbon footprint of this building? You're on a bus line. And then I was like, uh, I'd been to one green building in like Seattle, the public library. And I was like, well, let's be, let's do a green building. And of course, nobody here had built a green building there was there's the Bernheim well sorry Tucker Bonoff Tucker Donoff Booker the architects had a little green building that I'd learned about after but anyway it was a new thing but I was like offset the carbon footprint of all the people who might drive here let's do solar panels let's be our own independent like I'm an independent film producer let's be an independent energy a power station let's be our own power station let's do solar panels and geothermal and let's have a green roof and Reduce stormwater runoff, mitigate the stormwater runoff, which is a huge problem in Louisville because of our combined sewer overflow system and flooding. So there's like, so I just learned about all these things and I just like learning this stuff. So one thing led to another. And people who were in the industry, were they saying you're crazy or were you getting advice that, hey, this stuff is not normal, you're doing it wrong or? No, it wasn't doing it wrong. Most people were actually super excited. Uh, and, but you know, we were like, I was like, okay, I don't want to use Tyvek. Like let's do recycled blue jean denim insulation. So then we had to find where's the nearest place because part of a green building is you want everything to come from within 100 miles because you want to reduce the carbon footprint. So, but the only place we get that was like Nashville. So then we so okay, so we broke the 100 mile rule, but we got the recycled blue jean denim insulation, which is inherently greener. So there were some compromises we had to make. It was it called the green building before you bought it? That was I got the greenbuilding.com and it was. Uh, I mean, it's a 110 year old, 100, now it's 120 year old building. Okay. No, that was the whole thing I just invented. And people were like, wow, you got the greenbuilding.com? That's insane. And people would be like, can we buy that domain? I'm like, no, I'll keep it. It's cool. So it was the first lead, I think I read platinum lead building in the state. It was the first lead platinum commercial building in the state. And it's one of only two lead platinum buildings that I know of in the state, the other being the Bernheim Center Vis Visitor Center. What makes a, a lead building? So lead is just all these things. It's like reduced energy, self-contained energy production. 
the recycled products, forestry certified FSC wood, for, forest sustainable certification wood that comes from sustainable forests. We reused a lot of the wood from the building. We don't use gases. We don't use uh, paints that have volatile organic compounds. We have windows that, you know, special windows so that doesn't heat up the building too much. There's a cooling system that recycles there from the basement to the third floor in the summer and then does the reverse in the winter. And the stormwater, the green roof, stormwater runoff mitigation, plus green roofs don't go up to 170 degrees on a hot summer day. They go up to whatever the exterior temperature is because there's dirt there uh, and plants. And I can imagine it's much more expensive to build in that way? Yeah, well, sorry, at the time it was because it took more time to source a lot of the things we wanted to do. So we definitely had a, a surcharge. A lot of those prices have come down. I mean, solar panels are like a third as expensive as they were then. But the, the Pentagon, the Army was putting lots of solar panels down at Fort Knox, and they start buying solar panels, the price is going to come down. Uh, so yeah, on one level, we took one for the team to show some leadership. But the good thing is if you do the math and amortize it over the years and energy costs double on average every 10 years, minimum wage doesn't double, nothing else doubles, but energy costs double. So our savings double. So the 18, 19 kilowatts that we get from our solar panels are worth a lot more today than they were then. And then, then there were some tax incentives uh, for green initiatives. And there's more tax incentives now with the Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, and, and one note is with the LEED certifications, there are levels and platinum right. is the highest. And right. not many buildings, especially in Louisville, ever get to that level. And that, that is def- definitely impressive. I'm curious, though, you talk a lot about leadership. When you take on your real estate development projects, are you, how do you look at the financial analysis and how do you weigh all these different things playing? Are you more focused on community and doing something new and, and different? And then how do you balance that with the returns? And Yeah, so I talk a lot about return on investment, so the ROI, and then I talk a lot about ROC, return on community. And as long as you're allied, like, for example, the green building, that was me and my wife paying for. So we knew we had a much longer time horizon for amortization, depreciation. I never thought I would ever sell it, so I, I was figuring, like, that would be our building for life. I ended up did, moving to Portland and Harlan, so we did sell it, but... We're going to be underwater on this building for a decade, so I don't want to have outside investors. Other buildings, if I have outside investors, like what is their motivation? Are they trying to show positive change or do they just want to make money? I can work with both, uh, but you have to be very honest and transparent. So like in the Portland neighborhood, one of the, I don't know, 20-something LLCs that we have with different investor groups, one of them I literally said, like, we're going to raise this money we're going to spend it over the next 10 years. And hopefully after 10 years, you will get your money back and maybe a little return. And so a bunch of investors were, and we're going to do like affordable rate housing, not legally affordable because we didn't take any government subsidies, but you know, we're going to do low housing, fix up vacant abandoned shotgun houses for low rents. And so there was a bunch of investors like, Oh, that's good. Like I already donate money to Habitat, New Directions, and Housing Partnerships. This would be interesting. I could use my, some of my for-profit capital and get my money back and have the same impact. Okay, so I'm, I, I talk a lot about impact investing. So do you really want to have all your money in a stock portfolio of companies that are, yes, publicly traded, but not based here, not creating any local jobs? And your financial analysts, they love that because... They have it on a spreadsheet. They can sell it immediately, easy peasy. They know exactly what their 2 and 20 or whatever their percent is. Real estate's a pain for them. So there's institutional challenges for getting people to invest in real estate, even though there's lots of benefits. So I just tried to figure out, find the people that kind of believe in impact investing, having a positive uh, impact and a local bricks and mortar investment, which is not nearly as risky as a film. Yeah. Are, are you finding those investors in Louisville or what's that split look like in terms of investors from Louisville and out of Louisville? Yeah. So most of the, certainly in the Portland neighborhood, most, of the, I mean, most, I know more people here than anywhere else. So most of my investors are local. I do have some coastal investors who are like, who have been here and are like, oh yeah, they get it that we're about to pop as a city. So, uh, and some I mean, we have two that are still underwater like eight years later, which is depressing, uh, and others that either we've sold or moved.
done. And I'm also okay to like, I'd rather sell quickly, get a, a small but decent return, and then recycle that money and go do it. Because again, my impact, they always say real estate, like never sell. Because over 26 years, the government gives you the property with the depreciation. Like literally, if you hold something for 26 years, you got it for free, which is crazy incentive to invest in real estate. But I sell and then I go do the next building. There are 1,400 or when we started in Portland 11 years ago, there was 1,400 vacant abandoned properties. So one in four. And I think maybe now there's one in five, but there's still lots of opportunity. And then how, how do you go about finding and, and sourcing this opportunity? Are you just driving the streets? Are you working with brokers? How do you like to go about? Yeah, I just drive around and see buildings that look cool that might be dilapidated and falling down. And I mean, I've only worked on like three new constructions and everything else was like saving a hundred plus year old building. Wow. So have, how many, how much have you done with uh, buildings that are in the historic registry? Well, so everything in Portland is part of the, there's a national historic registry and yeah. over half the buildings in Portland are over a hundred years old. Now the Nulu kind of ha- like, obviously we bought the green building. That was the first one. And we were like, we're going to overinvest in this building. So therefore, to make any money, we need to buy the buildings around it. So we bought the parking lot, which is now Hotel Genevieve. And nobody remembers it. But that parking lot was a junkyard. Crazy junkyard. Boats, trees growing out of boats. Like it w- People were so happy that we bought the junkyard and turned it into a surface parking lot. Like that was considered neighborhood revitalization. People were like thrilled. Like, and I was like, oh my gosh, we got a long way to go. Anyway, now that's the Hotel Genevieve. Then we bought the building next to that. And then we bought the old Disney Tire building, which we only really bought to save the little green building, which is the last 1860 building on Jefferson Street. And then that's where Rabbit Hole is now. So part of it was like curating who we were going to sell these buildings to, to keep local business, cool ideas. So Nulu is a good blend of, there's a lot of foreign-born entrepreneurs in Nulu, like from Fobalu to uh, to Cave at Rabbit Hole to the Cuban dude at Bodeguita. Like it's a really interesting mix of fun folks. And then when I was walking to walking around one day, I saw there was like demolition tape on the 800 block. So please and thank you, Seven Sisters, uh, Lou, the acai bowl place, uh, Lou Berry, uh, the restaurant that's now called Lou Lou, I guess it was DECA. So all those buildings were going to get torn down to put a five-story homeless shelter. And I was like, whoa, like there are better places in the community for a homeless shelter than tearing down these old buildings that I think could be a great place. But it had been approved. City approved it. Even the Neighborhood Association had approved it. So I was like, on one level, I was like evil developer kicking out the home, but I was working with them. And of course, the Hotel Louisville is a much better site. It's safer for their clients. It's closer to the JCTC for their clients. It's closer to the hospitals, higher visibility for their donors, safer for their volunteers. <laughs> like it's such a win, but you know, it's a touchy subject when you're dealing with the, the very serious and needed uh, groups that work with the homeless. So anyway, so then I put together a group to buy, to vastly overpay for those falling down buildings. And then it took years to, and we were lucky because we got a big loan right before the crash of 08. And we got a big loan and it took, we gave them free rent for two years while they worked on transitioning to their new site and then slowly fixed up that whole block. So, wow. and then we landmarked it so they cannot never be torn down because that block, can you imagine if that block wasn't part of, the Nulu would have never happened. No. Yeah, that's, it's wild. Yeah. So I guess, how does Nulu compare from the 90s? I mean, we're, we were all born in the 90s, so we don't have much recollection to today. I guess, you, has it changed a lot? Is it, how does it compare? How does the old Nulu compare to Portland now? Yeah, so I moved to Louisville in 2005. Okay. So I don't have long term. I just, you look at East Market Street and you know that in the late 1800s, it was a thriving marketplace. That's why it was called Market Street. And there was a Haymarket. And when I do neighborhood revitalization, I do a lot of history research because a lot of times you just want to get things back to like how they were. There's some, I feel like there's some vestigial 
human memory, karmic memory of places that mean things. Uh, and there's, n I don't have any empirical evidence about that, but I just feel like there's something. Akashic records. <laughs> so, uh, there, there were folks like Joe Lay and Moose Candy and Bill Marzian, and there were folks that had, were there, Michael Brome, like amazing people, amazing neighborhood association that I just tapped into. And then working with all the neighborhoods, I was like, well, let's have a street festival. Let's call it Nulu Fest. And, and then I was like, let's rebrand this area, Nulu. And they're like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, feels like New York to me. So it's a New York Louisville bridge. And that got shortened to Nulu. So that's where Nulu comes from is actually me thinking because all my friends from the village would come they'd be like oh my gosh this is so cool i'm like yeah we need a new york louisville bridge so that's where the word nulu and then i was like it's not butchertown it's not phoenix hill even though the phoenix hill neighborhood people were like it's phoenix hill i'm like there's no hill here <laughs> and it hasn't neighbors neighborhoods change over the decades and so um then i was like well let's call it east market district like but we got to call it something it's not east downtown like that's boring yeah so anyway over time nulu was voted in I, th I think finally unanimously in like year three of us planting the seed of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. You say it enough and then it just sticks. Uh, I thought it was funny. Uh, Andy, we, Andy bleed and we had on and he, uh, he never wanted to be the mayor of butcher town, but it just, it stuck. Someone said it and someone kept saying it and then it, it just becomes history. Well, uh, it's, and I also think sometimes there's a, maybe a reason that de Tocqueville wrote the first major amazing history biography of the United States. Cause he was a foreigner and he has fresh eyes. And I think sometimes me coming from having lived in New York and these European cities, like, I'm like, wow, I see all this potential. And I think sometimes when you live in a place, you get your blinkers on and then you go to your neighborhoods and you stop thinking about what could be and you just accept what is. And I'm always like, well, let's, what, what could be? So a term that continued to pop up when researching your projects and specifically in Portland was urban acupuncture. So what does that term mean to you and how do you use that to hit that ROC, the return on community metric that you hold yourself to? Yeah. So, yeah. So we, so Kulapat Yantrasas, who's a great architect who did the Speed Museum, he would talk about like architectural acupuncture, like certain pressure points in buildings. So I stole, borrowed, stole whatever, and just created this urban acupuncture idea. And the whole point there is like, just like acupuncture is one little needle Portland is a 1,400-acre neighborhood, 5,500, you know, properties, 1,400 vacant abandoned. So we all have limited time, limited investment. And every needle prick, every investment you make, you want to have a positive ripple effect just like acupuncture. So that's literally like, so I want, because people would be like, why don't you just buy that whole block and fix up the one block? And I'm like, well, then I fixed up one block. But if I get one building in eight blocks then each of those buildings might have a positive ripple effect and then it all merges together and we've revitalized eight blocks for the same amount of time and money. Absolutely. Great. <clears throat> so you talked about different experience from around the world, drawing from that experience and how that kind of uh, gives you vision and like a revitalized view of things. I personally just came off a nine month trip around the world and prior to that, all I ever really wanted to do was get out of Louisville. And then you come back and you're like, man, this place has the capacity to be amazing. And every time I'm on the expressway looking out at our city, all the old buildings and the downtown, I'm curious, what are your thoughts and kind of vision for our urban core, for the heart of the city? I believe it's an important space. I just want to know what your take is and what do you see the future of the city there? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a podcast, so nobody saw me nodding my head as you were talking about, like, coming back after traveling around. But uh -huh. yes, I'm nodding. No, Urban Core is the one part of town that we all share, right? And so it, and it's got the history. So we need to double down. It's inherently more sustainable because it's more dense. We need to put a streetcar down Jefferson Street, start there, and then another streetcar down from downtown down to, I mean, now to the airport eventually, but at least to UofL. We could revitalize the streetcars that used to exist that went from here into southern Indiana. There's, a, there's still a streetcar line from IUS down to the Ali Center under pavement. So there's all these things we can do. A part of it is the branding thing. Like a lot of people in the country don't know how cool Louisville is, so we need to work on the branding. And we need to get more downtown. I mean, there's a lot of activity, a lot of hotels. We don't want to just be a play, playground for tourists, which I feel like it, some parts of New York are becoming playgrounds for uh, tourists and rich people that can afford a, uh, an apartment there that they go to twice a year. 
so create more local business, uh, stimulate more entrepreneurs to create the next Humana, uh, the next Brown Foreman. The, the businesses that are super successful in this town were all homegrown. So I, I think we need to double down on uh, supporting local entrepreneurship and, and then work on national branding. Those are the two big things. Yeah, I mean, we could like block off Main Street from, I don't know, 5th to 8th and no traffic. Just turn it into a pedestrian mall. I mean, that would be much cooler than 4th Street Live. Mm-hmm. It's local, and <clears throat> I think it'd end up being a huge success. There's a little bit of risk. People are like, what? Where am I going to park? We'll, we'll figure it out. And I like the urban <clears throat> acupuncture. So I guess the two needles you focused on in Louisville so far was Nulu. Would you say you're done with Nulu? So me personally, uh, Nulu doesn't need me. So I like going places where I can be value-add. Same when I'm a film producer, like... Like I was just literally this morning talking to a, a guy. His script is great. And I'm like, it's a bigger budget than I'm used to. It shoots in uh, in Ireland, which maybe I can help out on. But I was like, ah, I love it. I just don't know if I am the person that can be value add. But here's some ideas. So we'll see if I end up being value add on that. But yeah, Nulu, even 10 years ago, when I moved over to the Portland neighborhood, I was like, I can get hit by a bus and Nulu's going to happen. Like it, like so I stopped buying buildings in Portland in Nulu 10 years ago. Okay. So we've sold all but one over the last couple of years, slowly. Portland, uh, I'm still pretty active in. And then I'm really focused on Harlan now for the next, for my- Harlan, you know, Kentucky? Harlan County. Harlan County, baby. So we need to break down the urban-rural divide. So if you look at what, it's about building community, which Nulu, are, there was a, night, a great neighborhood association. There was great neighborhood vendors and people living there working with the with all those folks. Portland, same thing. There's a great Portland Neighborhood Association called Portland Now. There's amazing fifth-generation families that are still there working with the locals. But you got to get new people, especially when one in four buildings is vacant abandoned. So you got to get new people to move the neighborhood. you got to diversify the economic educational structure in, that, in the community. you got to revitalize the old buildings, which then drops the crime rate, which then increases the public visibility and marketability of the area and then and those two areas are both kind of connector neighborhoods so nulu there was 30 there's still 30 plus thousand cars a day that go down to east market street they go from downtown to the highlands prospect uh frankfurt ave but nobody would ever stop 15 years ago right so our big challenge was how do you get them to stop and i'm like because it's the connector neighborhood and then if you think about our area as a regional metropolis well, Southern Indiana is blowing up. And what's the gateway? The Portland neighborhood. So already more and more cars are coming down bank. Coming at 64 is right there. Sherman Minton Bridge. If we can open up the K&I Bridge to open it back up to pedestrian and bike traffic, all of a sudden Portland's the linchpin of the long-term regional growth of the area. So Harlan's a little different because Harlan County is, they used to joke that there was only two places in America where the Greyhound bus had to do a U-turn. One was Key West and one was Harlan County. <laughs> but the Harlan County thing is more about bridging, uh, connecting the urban with the rural. So breaking down the urban-rural divide, uh, diversifying the former coal town economy, and creating an ecotourism for Kentucky's Appalachia because all the other Appalachian states have lots of things to do. Look at Asheville, North Carolina, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, whatever. Kentucky, we have never leveraged our beautiful Appalachian temperate rainforest. Yeah. So I think, the, I mean, the only example would probably be the Red River Gorge. I know yeah. that that is a, a big destination. I'm, I'm in the climbing community. and But not but, nearly big enough yeah, nationally. Yeah. And that's the thing. Unless you're a climber, you've probably never heard of it. There, I mean, I, I've, if you've ever been to Miguel's Pizza Restaurant down there, awesome place. But one thing that is very surprising about Miguel's is the amount of climbers who live there year round from around the world. Just go to Red River Gorge, Kentucky and live there in a tent just to climb. And I I do, I wish going down to Red River Gorge, it's just, it's depressing the whole way. And then you're in this beautiful nature and, and it would be wonderful to have like an Asheville close by. You could, you could get the bourbon tourism and the ecotourism in one spot. It'd be awesome. Right. Well, so, and so that's like a mini Asheville is my goal for Harlan. That is awesome. My my family's from Eastern Kentucky, and they all left, and 
went to Lexington and Louisville. So, I mean, that would be awesome. Well, and just like Portland 10 years ago when I got there, like the definition of success for a lot of kids was getting out of Portland. And a lot of people in Eastern Kentucky, definition of success is getting out, moving to the big city. I'm like, well, let's change the, let's change it. So the definition of success is going back to where your family goes back multiple generations and then giving back and investing and living and creating jobs, et cetera. I like that a lot. And you went from Nulu to Portland and now to Harlan County. What lessons that you've learned are you going to take to Harlan County to make it more effective? Yeah. So again, it is all about working with the neighbors, working with lots of people, bringing in lots of different interests, building a huge team, not having any ego involved. I mean, especially in Harlan, because it's three hours and 15 minutes away. So it's like, I can only be there a certain, I go at least one day a month. But so, I mean, it's funny, there's an amazing entrepreneur, uh, Jeff Marietta, who married a girl from uh, a holler in Eastern Kentucky, but he grew up in Hibbing, Coltown, Minnesota, where Bob Dylan's from. Speaking of Nulu, very exciting that Bob Dylan is coming to Nulu. Um, but he does a lot of stuff with entrepreneurship. He started Invest 606, which is an amazing program supporting Appalachian uh, entrepreneurs. It's like a regional accelerator incubator. He's uh, He and his wife have a coffee shop, Airbnb in Corbin. He was the professor of entrepreneurship at University of the Cumberlands. He's doing all this stuff. And so my dad was born in Harlan County back in 1936 when his dad, my granddad, was a doctor for the coal company. When Harlan County was the third most populous county in Kentucky and the second or third most diverse, racially diverse, which a lot of people don't realize. Anyway, so I had this idea a little bit inspired by Miguel's to tell the truth. I was like, we need a really cool destination spot in Kentucky Appalachia. So I like beer. I start my day at the coffee shop. I want to end my day at the little microbrewery. So I was like Harlan County beer company. It just sounds good. And then, and I had this idea for a long time and I was like, I don't have time to do another thing. And so finally I, I got this artist friend of mine who helps run the Portland museum, Danny Simon. I was like, Danny, can you do me a logo for Harlan County Beer Company? I have this idea. Don't tell anybody. I just, I don't know. I just have an idea and I'll show it to you. And sorry, the listeners can't see it, but you can go check it out. But anyway, so he did this logo for me. And when I got the logo, I was like, oh my gosh, now I have to start this business because <laughs> it was so cool. So that's how the arts oh, wow. guide everything, right? And same with the green building. Like the design of the architect, my friend Doug Pearson, came up with this design. for the. I was like, we have to do that. It's epic. It's iconic. It's going to change. So he sent me the logo, and I was like, okay. And then I, I literally, I just sent the logo to Jeff Marietta, and I said, Jeff, you now own 50% of the Harlan County Beer Company. And he's like, what? He's like, are we starting a brewery? And I'm like, yep. That's awesome. I, I love the, the that. The brand behind that, that it reminds me of an old Woodstock kind of festival poster feel. It's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, he nailed it. So it's his fault that, and then so, and then once you start spending time there, you're like, oh my gosh, half the buildings are vacant, boarded up. Like, which ones can we buy? I bought the old historic hundred year old hotel building. You buy it for 30 grand, and people are like, what? You bought a five story building for 30 grand? I'm like, yeah, but it needs five million. It's a negative <laughs> asset. It needs five million bucks worth of work, maybe six. But they did a hotel study. They need a hotel and branding. And I'm like, Harlan County, USA was is one of the best documentaries ever made. Won the Oscar in 1977, I think. Barbara Koppel's first documentary. Anyway, so as far as I'm concerned, Harlan County is the most famous county in America. <laughs> so there's a, a brand there that we can help enhance. Yeah. That's... And same with Portland. Like, I always joke, like, I didn't have to create, like, new Poe. Like Portland has a great brand yeah. uh, just since the great flood of 37 and the highways displacing a bunch of people and the redlining and stuff like that. A lot of people left. And so the brand needed a little burnishing. For sure. You, uh, you alluded to it earlier that you've been branded as the big bad developer coming in, especially not even being from Louisville or Kentucky. How do you go about having those conversations with the community and the neighbors that you said is you know, crucial to these projects? Because people are naturally against change. They don't like change. Things might be terrible, but at least they're predictable, right? So are you out there knocking on doors, holding community events? What is your philosophy and your strategy when it comes to that? 
Yeah, just showing up at the neighborhood meeting every month. So at the beginning, there and usually it's, I mean, neighbors are like skeptical, and then and after like two years, and you're there every day, and then like you do your research, and you know know more history about the neighborhood than they do, and then you start becoming value add, and then they see that oh, you got rid of the drug dealers in that building, and now there's a nice little family living there, and so proof is in the pudding. Most of the naysayers usually don't actually live in the neighborhoods, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, so it's not, it's, yeah, it, it, it's really, I mean, when we first went to like Nulu was a tad different cause it was a little more business. There was a, at the time it was called East downtown business association. Now it's the Nulu business association. So there were very people, very few people living on East market street uh, at the time, uh, obviously wayside, there was 250 people, but it was more businesses. So we worked with the city and governments, regional and statewide governments are, always interested in business development. So we knew we had a partner there. Uh, Portland's more residential. So there was more skepticism at the beginning. And then uh, after maybe two years, they realized like, oh, like the other day, I mean, I'm fixing up this building that was a fourplex that like almost burned down and people were walking by the other day like, I love what you're doing with that building. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically showing up and doing what you say you're going to do. Louisville has been, it has a stigma in terms of our, just our local government kind of stomps a lot of development. The red tape can be really hard to navigate. How have you seen that? Have you seen that as a challenge? And then how do you go about dealing with just the bureaucracy? Yeah. So, uh, I get, so I always heard that, right. But since I had no experience, I still, I mean, I still say like, I'm a filmmaker that pretends to be a developer. Like I there's so many developers that actually know code stuff, like all this stuff. Like, I don't know all that stuff. So people would say, like, isn't it hard? And I was like, well, I don't know. I just, because I, I didn't have any frame of reference. So I just assumed that this is how it's supposed to go. And so, and I just figure out a way through. I mean, I've had buildings. We were shooting one movie and we had a location contract to shoot in this bodega on the corner of this East Village block. And during the night, it burned down. And so we show up and we have the whole, you have time is money in a movie, right? And you have a film crew and actors that you are paying for. And we show up to the location. There is no location. So filmmaking, especially producing, is all about troubleshooting. Like, okay, everybody's here. We got to find another location. Can we tweak the script? Can we, like, what do we do? And we don't have any money to just go pay somebody a bunch of money to shut down their store for the day. So so it, it's all about problem solving and uh and with buildings, especially, I try to think about, like, highest use. Like, again, the buildings in the 800 block of East Market Street, I was like, highest use is creative, locally owned businesses, entrepreneurs, which is what it is. Highest use was not tearing them down and putting a five-story homeless shelter there. So thinking about the city, and there are one or two properties, like, in Portland that I'm like, oh, if that owner could go sell that property, this could be something amazing. So then, it, and I will say in Nulu, a lot of the uh, property owners were very keen on the revitalization and the fact that we were spending a bunch of money fixing up other buildings, obviously helps property values for them. Even though one guy was super annoyed because his property tax went up and then he sold his building for a ton of money and then he wasn't annoyed anymore. Um, so the, you can't win for losing sometimes, but uh, yeah, sometimes you have to, figure out ways to convince people of how your vision is maybe better for the overall community. And it, I loved how you said you're a film producer who pretends to be a developer. I guess, was there a point when you realized, uh, I guess I'm a real estate developer? Was it after the green building? Or when did you realize you were going to start doing real estate development consistently? Uh, I mean, I just, there's so much opportunity in this town. There are so many cool old buildings and buildings are, they have positive impact and it's fun to see the fruits of your labor. It's so different on one level, a movie I can, I was in LA three days ago for a new film premiere in six months, that movie will be out in a hundred countries. It just through the internet and streaming and whatever, like same with music. We, we, you know, if you give me the metadata on Monday, I can have that song out on Friday in 167 countries, which is insane. You know, in the old days, I had to ship CDs around. It was a big pain in the butt. Um, buildings, obviously, you don't ship to, you don't offshore. Uh, you know, when you're 
buildings inherently are sustainable jobs because they're local because you're not offshoring it to, to Mexico or Pakistan to for a roofer to fix your roof, right? It's all about local jobs. But yeah, I still don't, I mean, sometimes I write developer on the, some government document I have to sign. Sometimes I write film producer. So I don't, it's always a, that's always a hard question for me to answer. Is it, I guess, would you, in, in terms of identity, who do you feel you're more of a developer or producer, film producer? Is it a film well, producer? Well, in Louisville, I'm more of a developer. In New York and LA, I'm more of a film producer. So you have di- just different hats different you hats. can put on. That's awesome. Where but but I'm oh, oh you want to hear break I don't know when this comes out but I have breaking news what's that so we're gonna announce in the next like two weeks that we're opening an outsider art museum so outsider art is a, a niche of the art market it's art from untrained artists so people who did not get MFAs it could be folk art it can be art from mentally ill folks who do amazing art like Du Buffet the famous French artist was obsessed would go into all the asylums they called them and find these people doing amazing art so and he called it art brute or art primitive anyway so we're starting outside our art museum uh and it opens in november in that's Portland. exciting that's the answer to my question awesome can 2060 we, can we contribute to sure if you, yeah if you're an untrained artist give me a piece uh, we draw on that whiteboard a lot <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of stick figures and shapes but you know yeah so your segue into real estate development was obviously is very organic very natural For some of our listeners who, in this city or in their cities, that there's a similar playing field, uh, if they have inspired, they're inspired to revitalize, to create, to uh, add value to the city and the community, what would you advise, uh, how do they get their start, or where would you start if you were doing it all over again? Yeah, I mean, I think there are so many things in your life that, that kind of inform what your ideas are, I guess. So the vision, like having spent a lot of time in the village and in the cafes and Spain and France and Oslo and having seen Oslo, having, I mean, parts of Oslo that were so not welcoming uh, are now just booming with activity. And I mean, Oslo obviously has a lot of oil money, so it's a little different. But if you look at New York City, I was making movies. We were shooting movies in Williamsburg and Dumbo in the 90s. There was not a soul there. And those are two of the most vibrant neighborhoods in America. So I feel like I I had experience seeing. And same with other cities have developed their warehouse district. We have warehouses here at 15th Street. So 10 years ago, Greg Rockman and I started buying the one big warehouse, which it took until now to finally get the $17.5 million to fix them up, right? Because there's, it's just, those buildings need a lot of money, mm-hmm. which is one reason I focused on shotguns at the time, because having limited resources, I can get by a shotgun that's vacant abandoned for 10 grand, and I can find the 70 to fix it up, and then I can start charging affordable housing for a family of four in Jefferson County is, I think, $732 a month. So you charge the affordable housing rate, it starts cash flowing the property and then you start and then you do it again and get another shotgun and there are lots of opportunities. So I think you got to have a big overall uh, kind of strategy. Like what is the long-term goal? Again, is it money? Is it community? Is it both? What's the mix? What's your risk tolerance? Uh, and then it's just brick by brick, piece by piece. So many people are like, Oh, I want to build this $10 million. I was like, have you built anything? And same in the film business. People are like, oh, I wrote an amazing World War One biopic. I'm like, do you know Christopher Nolan? Because I don't. Like, how, why don't you make a movie? Let's make... So, like, the movie I helped Felipe Dieppa on is called Going Nowhere. And we shot in Oldham County, and we shot it for, like, 30 grand. So we can raise 30 grand, and you get your friends, and we're not going to get Julia Roberts for... She cost $10 million to be in a movie, probably. So I think there's a lot of people who don't get stuff done because they have, like huge ideas, which could be amazing, but you still got to have actionable. So I actually say I'm a tactician in a way because it's like I have my big idea for Nulu and Portland, Mm -hmm. and I had a four-part plan for Portland, and I would do the talks, and it was the warehouse district. It was what I would call the stroll district. It's never going to be called the stroll district, but I just needed to call it something for the – and then it was the shotgun revitalization project, which I called Artist Row. And then uh, it was the 21st century shotgun project, which was getting architects to build 21st century versions of our historic shotgun house theme. Mm -hmm. 
We've only built one of those for the record, but four part plan, but it all comes together for a neighborhood revitalization because why is Portland not like Butchertown where we're sitting right here? And Butchertown, for the record, 15 years ago, I tried to get my friends to buy houses in Butchertown because you could get a house here for 70 grand, wow. which is insane. And I was, and also, you have to maintain focus because I could have made money by buying some houses in Butchertown because I was like, Butchertown's going to be amazing and they're going to be worth a lot more, but you have to really corral your resources and uh, target uh, efficiently what you're working on. Thank you. Our, we have a our designer. He handles our website and just different marketing aspects. But he taught us something when he first started working with us was atomic design. It's like we're going to focus on this one little thing that will drive the direction of all the other little things to follow. But you got to start with this one little thing. We're not going to create a whole brand. We're going to figure out, OK, what's the name of the brand? Then we're going to figure out the colors. Then we're going to figure out the type. And then we're at the end of it. We'll have the brand. Yeah. But it's just it's so much easier when you start with one little thing that fits and starts the direction and then you just add more to that direction. And it, it sounds like that's yeah, exactly you, what you're doing. You can't control everything. I mean, you, you do your best to provide a good role model uh, that folks see you're doing things for the right reasons and with the right aesthetics and whatever, but you can't control everything. So you can't, you got to sometimes work with that disappointment, even like movies too. It's like, I say movies are like a rocket ship, right? So when you start, there's a lot of bad movies, right? And you're like, how did all these bad movies get made? Well, I'll tell you how they get made. So you start, it's like a rocket ship. So you want everybody on the same page. You want the crew, the cast, whatever. And the rocket ship fires. And if your director's like 1%, 1% not perfect. Your costume designer, 1% not perfect. Your location, oh, well, she's a broke girl. Why does she have that nice apartment? 3% not perfect. You're casting, well, that actor, you couldn't get the one you wanted, so you got this one, 4%. And as as the rocket goes, you see my hand starting to... And so, so the rocket lands like 10,000 miles from where you were aiming because 1%, 1%, 1% adds up because a movie takes about a year to make by the time you've done your pre-production, worked on your script, shot the film, cast, shot, edited, sound design, adding music, uh color correct all that stuff and then so so many movies i'm like ah, it's a, it's good it's good it could have been better it's very hard to make a perfect movie yeah no that that makes total sense and i mean same with real estate development and movie production you just having one person off track can really set the whole thing off it, in terms of people which i think this is a an underlying thing with any business or any type of project how do you go about finding people to help and are you doing it with the same people? Or are you producing movies with the same people? Or are you jumping around to different groups? Yeah, so I love, I mean, I love working with the same people. I love working my, with my friends. I also like meeting lots of new people. And I in movies, it's a little different because I'm, I mean, I guess it's a little similar. But in movies, I try to work with a lot of first-time directors because it's all about, like, working with folks who need me as a value add. Because if you're, if you're a famous director, you do not need me. So having that goes back to having impact. And also a lot of first-time directors are making lower-budget films, and that's the sandbox. I, I can raise $100,000, $200,000. I can't raise $2 million right now for a movie. And so same with buildings. It's like everybody – I love Old Louisville. Old Louisville has so much potential. The problem for me with Old Louisville is you got to buy the building for four hundred, and then you got to put in six hundred, And a million bucks in Portland goes a long way. But in Old Louisville, it's one building. And there's a lot of buildings. So that's why I've never, like, I mean, I considered Old Louisville at one point. but It's a tough neighborhood association to battle with, too. I mean, <laughs> it's, you'd think they'd want more business and, and more tourists coming to Old Louisville, but they want to keep it all out. Yeah. It's very it's interesting. I, I was curious in, in terms of just more on the people thing, how do you go about, I guess, keeping everyone on the same page. I think this is a key question for anyone who's in entrepreneurship is you need people. How do you articulate your vision and make sure that they're happy and want to help you see through that vision? Yeah, I mean, that it, people at the end of the day is obviously the most important asset and it sounds cliche, but it's true because uh, you, and, and sometimes you have to let some folks go and sometimes you... Uh, have partnerships and you're like they want to go one way and you want they want you want to go another and it could be amicable sometimes it's not so 
that's where I just think being honest from day one, you can sometimes tell, I mean, generally, I think I've had a pretty good track record of character assessment early on. Uh, you, there's always a couple folks here and there that slip through and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? But get references. <laughs> is it, if it really is somebody brand new and that you haven't spent quality time with, just get a bunch of references. Fair enough. Yeah. And switching subjects a little bit, of all the different projects you have going on right now, what are you most excited about? Uh, I guess Outsider Art Museum I'm most excited about right now just because it's brand new. It's a whole new, I mean, I, I think, was it Ben Franklin who said like something about like every man worth his salt changes professions every 10 years or something. And I feel like uh, I went to law school. I worked, I didn't make it very long in a law firm and then I did film and I'm still doing so I feel like every ten, seven, it's more like seven years for me because it's probably ADHD or something. But I feel like every seven years I switch professions. So then I started the record music company, but that was 22 years ago. But I never give up the other one. I just add on. So now I'm adding on museum uh, co-founder. Uh, and so I'm meeting all these people in the art world. And uh, it's new and exciting and fun. And I like learning and it keeps me from getting bored. The process of real estate is the same, and the process of making a movie is the same. you got to like, I always tell people in these industries that could be considered a little sexy, like music and film, fashion, whatever, like you got to like the process, not just the end result. Because like, sure, we had a fun party in LA on Saturday night or Sunday night for our premiere, but it took a year and a half of slog to get to that really fun red carpet type event. Uh, so if you don't actually like being on set, watching cuts, uh, being in a dark editing room by yourself for three months, like where do you tap in and what are you good at and what are you bringing? And if you like the process, great. In real estate, the process can be brain damaging sometimes. And sometimes it, when it starts coming together, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm walking through this building. It looks so cool. So you got to like the process. Which uh, of music, film, and real estate, which one's your favorite process? Well, I will say music is the easiest it, because it involves the fewest people. Okay. So yeah. a musician, literally like one, we released like 47 records last year. But there's records that we have released that were recorded in the musician's bedroom. Like they never saw anybody else. I mean, until we mastered it, the, it, it was just one person with their Pro Tools. And then we release it and try to get people to listen to it. I mean, it's very hard to monetize money right now, but there's no barrier to entry. And in the old days, there was barrier to entry with film because you had to go to film school to get access to the, the big cameras that are like quarter million dollar cameras. But then with digital video and iPhones, like there's no barrier to entry for filmmaking anymore. So all these people are like, oh, I want to make a movie. I'm like, well, you should have done one last week with your friends. Not hard. There's something called TikTok. That's basically short movies. But real estate is still bricks and mortar. So you need some money, you need a crew. I mean, to do a good movie, you still need to have a vision enough to get people to come out and help, right? Because unless you're making a movie that you're the only actor in it, so you have to have some some leadership, vision, charisma to organize a crew and get people inspired to spend their time. Time is such a valuable asset, and people don't have much time these days. So why are they going to spend time with you? whether it's a movie, film, or anything, or even listening to your music. I mean, I can't even get people to listen to our music. I'm like, I'm dying. Like, we have such good music. I'm like, please. I was on a, I'm doing a music supervisor panel in New Orleans at the end of the month, and uh, I'm going to be begging these people, can you please just spend three minutes to just listen to this track because it's good. You're going to want it for a movie. I'm not sure anybody's going to spend the three minutes. Like, why would they spend three minutes with me? There's more famous people to spend three minutes on. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, we'll listen to your music. Dude. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'll give you, you can do intro. You can have some Sonoblast music for your intro and outro. What, yeah, what's it called? Where, where Sonoblast is the label. I'll send you a link and it has all the download. Good you deal. can download. And so is Sonoblast still based in New York? Or no, is no, it, so it, I've moved it. I moved everything the here. The whole thing, yeah. Here. Okay. In the 20. 2005. And then is there a certain genre of music you guys are focused on or do you do it all? Right. So, so I started the label or back to organic, like sometimes I wonder if I have no 
if I really have no vision at all, it's just something comes along and then I'm like, oh, that's an idea. That would be fun. Like shiny bobble, like follow that, like the cat would. But so in New York, so, uh, in New York I was watching a lot of bands because I always needed cheap music for my movies because the last thing you do in a movie is put in music. And music rights are very hard. You have to clear the underlying song copyright. You have to clear the master recording, which the label owns, whatever. So there, it's complicated. So I started learning a lot. And then uh, this artist friend of mine brought me this cassette tape back in the day, cassette tape. And it had this guy, Mark Geary, on one side and had uh, the Frames on the other side, which is Glenn Hansard's band, who went on to become very famous with the movie Once. And listened to this. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this guy, Mark Geary. And one day the economy was good. It was before the crash of 02. And the economy was good. And this, my, uh, one of my colleagues came in. It's like, that guy, Mark Geary, is playing at Mercury Lounge, which was this great music venue, which usually it was like 10 bucks to get into. And I was pretty broke and trying never to have to actually spend 10 bucks to get into a music venue because there's other places you can go for free music. But anyway, so I get tickets for the office and we go down. And so this guy that I thought was this famous Irish pop star was the bartender from the local bar that I'd been going to for the last six months. So there was Irish Mark and Scottish Mark were the two bartenders. And Irish Mark was the guy on stage singing these songs. And I was at the end, I was like, you're Mark Geary. I'm like, dude, I thought you were famous and lived in Ireland. Like I'm a huge fan. And then, you know, and meanwhile, he's like, do you want a scotch and soda? Uh, Cause before I moved here, I would drink scotch. Now I drink old Forster and soda. But, uh, and then he's like, do you want to help me put out a record? And literally I was like, yes. And so I went the next day, I bought two books on the music industry. And a week later I gave him a contract and I said, and now we're on our eighth album together. Wow. And so that one literally he's the reason I now have a little music business, which is insane. So I just fell into that too. <laughs> I guess awesome. I've just been lucky in right place, right time. I don't know. Yeah. And so is all the, I guess. So, artists- at, so at the beginning, sorry, at the beginning I had no money. So, and I'd made some money from our TV show. So TV, there's a lot of money in TV. And instead of anything, doing anything smart, like buy an apartment in New York or whatever, I started a music company in the ashes of like the Napster collapse. Like with the music business was at an all time low, yeah. which also I guess is a good time to start any business when everything's tanking. But I couldn't really afford, I tried to sign a band, but then I was like, bands are too expensive, man. I can't afford four hotel rooms and four meals and traveling like a van. I was like, I'm just going to do singer songwriters. So I did that for a while. And then uh, over time people would be like, Oh, do you have any rap? Do you have any country? Do you have any whatever? So now we have all kinds of music because we get, we do a lot of music placements for movies and TV shows. So we have to have a little bit of everything. That's awesome. So you essentially, you started the music uh, label to have music for the movies. Correct. And then it just grew from there. Yeah. I love the organicness of the evolution. It's wild. You got a question? Yeah. Are you a fan of Hans Zimmer? Uh, he's an amazing composer. Yeah, there's some great composers. I can't afford him. That's the other thing you said, like, <laughs> do you want to keep working with the same people? In the movie business, I would love to keep working with the same people, but a lot of them are really famous now, and I can't <laughs> afford them anymore, so I'm still trying to discover new talent. There's a concert this Friday, Louisville Theater, Hans Zimmer. Nice. Are you, you're gonna be I'm, in, I'm out of town. Ah, okay. That's awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. We, we like to conclude our episodes with a quick little rapid-fire Blitz round of questions are my favorite one is if business meetings had walk-up songs. So like when a baseball player comes out to bat at a game, what would be your walk-up song? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I, well, first of all, I am, uh, I have to think about it because it would have to be a song from Louisville or a Sonoblast song. Because I'm what I'm always annoyed at. You go to like GLI meetings or you go to all these meetings and they're playing like the hits from, I don't know, singers that are not from here and they're not serving bourbon that's not from here. Why are they serving music <laughs> that's not from here, right? So I think people, a lot of people, music is so everywhere that people forget like that's actually a business and a product too. And it's a part of the creative economy. And the second biggest export from the country of Ireland Guinness being one, beer, back to beer. See, it's all about beer. Uh, number two, U2. Wow. <laughs> and people don't realize, like, Jack Harlow is a huge oh, yeah. local entrepreneur. People don't think about it. So it's like, so how do we get all the businesses to, like, use more local music? Anyway, so I'm not, I'm going to have to think about that because 
Also, I don't want to choose amongst my babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And then I guess the next question, we usually say book, but I'm curious what movie has had the biggest impact on you and your career? I mean, so I have a lot, lots of favorite movies. Everything, there's a French kind of new wavy film, not with new wave officially, but uh, a French film called Diva, which is about an opera singer who never lets herself be recorded. And this dude... Uh, sneaks in a, an amazing tape and records her and then uh, gets mistaken for this like bad guy by the mafia and then these people are after him and they're like he's like all for this tape he's like and he's obsessed with this beautiful opera singer and he's driving around in this Vespa and it's just like so stylistic and sexy and the music and like I love music and movies and like Amadeus Milos, any film by Mila Schwarman it's pretty amazing there's a Norwegian film called Pathfinder, which will kick your butt, and about a 15-year-old Sami, a Norwegian Eskimo Sami man who comes back to his village, and everybody's been, every his hut, the tents are burning, and he just sees his little sister being dropped in a hole in the ice, and then he's like, I, I need to get revenge on these bad guys, and it's an insane movie. Mm-hmm. Les Enfants du Paradis, an old French silent film that Jacques Prévert, the great poet, did the... Anyway, I could talk about movies for a long time. Do you, do you, are these <laughs> movies in different languages? Yeah. Okay. Well, so, I mean, Mila Schwarman, I mean, Amadeus is in English. and Okay. Yeah, Pathfinder's in Sami. Um, yeah, S-A-M-I, <laughs> which is the, the Laplanders of northern Scandinavia. That's interesting. Okay, and then for, why is it slipping my mind, the last question? One activity that oh, helps yeah, you yeah. Uh, decompress after a long week. Uh, I do love going to some Lou City and racing Louisville games. Just the best. I'm actually, I'm in my pre-postseason depression is already starting to set in. That oh, God. I don't Because I'm out of town this weekend, so we got to get one home game for the playoffs. So I have one more. Otherwise, my year is over, and i got to wait till spring for the next game. Do you tailgate and all that? No, because i got three kids. Oh, but, okay. But, you know, I, I have season tickets and... Super exciting. This has been a great conversation, Gil. Thank you for sharing. Excited to get this one published. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, obviously an inspiring guy with big ideas, and I know our listeners will agree. We'll give you a chance to plug your projects and your ideas that you have going right now. Where can people find you and support what you're doing in Portland and Harlan County or wherever else it may be? Yeah. I mean, the best way to support what we're working on is just support the local businesses in those places. So I'm like, go to the Portland neighborhood if you haven't been there. Go to the Portland Museum. It's amazing. Go have lunch at the table. It's amazing. Check out the Marine Hospital. Volunteer at the neighborhood house. There's amazing nonprofits doing great work. Go to church over there. Help pick up trash uh, with some so many nonprofits to work with. We, we're trying to create more businesses to go spend money at. But spend your money. Go to the Locks. Go to the Falls of Ohio. Harlan County, just come to Appalachia and check it out. And Go to Sassy Trash and come to the Harlan County Beer Company for lunch. Go to the Moonbow Tipple Coffee Shop. So, yeah, the yeah, listen to local music, just like you drink local beer and go to local restaurants. Local movies, extra. We all need extras and volunteer to get coffee for somebody on a film set. Or We had an actor staying in our house this summer because one of my friends was like, oh, we, we don't have enough money to, for hotel rooms. I was like, okay, well, donate, a, donate <laughs> our uh, extra room. Uh, so lots of ways to get involved. I, I think, And the fun thing about Louisville is everything's so accessible and you're one degree of separation from everybody. And so anything you might want to do or be involved in, there's no barrier to entry. Awesome. Fantastic. Twos and talk. Twos and talk. Very much. Good.